Hey, you. Yeah, you. That just press play on this podcast. Do us a solid and leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening. And remember that this episode is brought to you by Shamrock Sun. Your big-ass bottle of sunscreen delivered by subscription. Now available on Amazon. You can also check them out on Instagram and at shamrocksun.com. This episode is also brought to you by Menard Premium Detailing. The ultimate, the elite, the best auto detail service in Bucks County. Check them out on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and at MenardPremiumDetailing.com. Welcome to episode 40. Hope everybody enjoys. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. It is episode 40 of Thoughts from the Shade. We are officially over the hill. Hope everybody's bracket uh, is still in check. We we had a lot going on. Chips flying all over the table uh, in the NFL this week. Uh, we had a departure of a debatable all-time Philly athlete in Claude Giroux. Um so a lot to get to, but let's just check in with my co-host, the man, Bomb. What's happening, Bomb? What's happening, G? I want to welcome everybody back to Daylight Savings Time. Isn't it a beautiful thing, man? You know, you you're uh, you got the light in the evening. You get out there for a little golf. It's it's wonderful. Yeah, you can you can get out after work if you're uh, fortunate enough to do so. Maybe four or five o'clock in that range, and now it's not getting dark till. After seven, and we'll be pushing it to, to eight and eight fifteen, and almost eight thirty by the summer. And you, you can get eighteen in um, post work, post a full work day. You don't have to use any PTO now. It's spring. I think we can officially proclaim. I mean, normally the tournament is the the uh, the line in the sand that helps uh, you know determine what season it is. But I think we can officially proclaim that the, the dead of winter is over. Uh, our best days are ahead of us. Our worst days are behind us. Let's let's get to some sports talk, G. Yeah, and just before that, I mean, you mentioned too, like the changing of the weather. That that it's light out longer. It's just uh, it's all good for the mental, right? Something about that warm weather and cracking windows in your car or in your house, wherever you are, you know, it just lifts your spirits a little bit. Um, but some something that that didn't lift my spirits uh, that that transpired over the last week. Uh, was the departure of longtime Flyers captain Claude Giroux. Uh, he had his 1,000th game as a Flyer uh, and in the NHL on Thursday night against the Nashville Predators. Uh, the Flyers held, held a big ceremony. They filled the stands to honor G. Uh, it was for, for his 1,000th game played, but you, you could really tell it was uh, a bit of a send-off as the NHL trade deadline loomed this past Monday and Claude Giroux being on an expiring contract uh, on a team that totally sucks uh, was a prime piece uh, to move at the deadline. And that's what the Flyers did. Traded him Saturday uh, to the Florida Panthers, uh, along with some AHL prospects, uh, I believe a fifth round pick somewhere down the road in return for Owen Tippett, uh, who's 23. He was a first round pick. I want to say in 2017, Uh, they also got, a first rounder in 2024 and I believe a third rounder in 2023. So a little bit of an underwhelming return, I would say for Drew, but uh, 
given the uh, the circumstances of his contract, the no move clause, um, he really kind of held held the chips and where he wanted to go, uh, which people will say tie the hands of of Chuck Fletcher, Flyers general manager, a little bit uh, in negotiations. But no more G. He's on to Florida. Best of luck. Uh, my initial reaction to him going to Florida is, I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he's gonna win the cup there. I mean, they're having an outstanding year. They have a great team, uh, high-flying offense and everything. But you just look at the East right now in the NHL, it's a monster. Obviously, you've got Tampa Bay looking for a three-peat. Uh, in the West, you've got Colorado, who's an absolute wagon as well. So I don't know I don't know if they get it done in, in Florida. Um, you know, Colorado was in the rumor mill. I feel like he, he would have had a little bit more luck out there, easier to get through the West and get to the Cup Final. But... No more G. I mean, Bob, what was your reaction to to kind of the festivities uh, commemorating the, the Flyers' career of Claude Giroux? This might be an unpopular opinion. I thought it was an absolute joke. I thought it was not, not that they celebrated his 1,000th game with the Flyers, but the way in which this entire thing went down. It seemed like the team and the player were so obsessed on just getting to this to this 1,000 game mark. Um, and the thing that was disappointing was it just felt like an opportunity to sell tickets and merchandise with the new patch, the 28 on the Jersey, like the guy perished or something. Um, you know, I heard in, uh, at the center as Sixers fans call it, as Flyers fans call it, the Wells Fargo center, the barn. I, I heard that they, uh, they created a little, a little snack for G um, they decided to sell one of G's favorite snacks, uh, at the arena, at the center. Um, and on G night, they sold grilled cheeses on every level of the arena. I mean, is that what this, this once proud franchise has come to? They used to beat the snot out of other teams. Anytime you come on a broad street and now we're, uh, you know, throwing a 28 patch on our jerseys and eating grilled cheese sandwiches for another opportunity to sell tickets. It's disgusting. And my question is this, G. You're a G guy. You're a Flyers guy. If G wins the cup with the Panthers, are you going to celebrate it the same way that some of these Flyers fans celebrated Jeff Carter and Mike Richards' cup? I mean, people taking pictures down in Sea Isle City with the cup. If G wins one, does he win one for you? I'm going to say yes. And, and I say yes. I say yes. I'm honking out. Bob's going crazy on the other end here, but I say yes because the Philadelphia Flyers, the organization, the management, the retreads of uh, former players that come through in the front office, uh, absolutely failed this guy. I mean, I mean, completely. Um, I mean, can you name any, you know, close to star player that that he played with uh, after the the 2010 Cup run? Yager. Yeah, Yammer Yager. I don't know how old he was at that point. Um, clearly at the tail end of his career, and no slight to Yager, Hall of Famer, legend, whatever you want to say about him. But the Flyers had a good year that year. They beat the Penguins uh, and then ultimately lost to the Devils in the second round. But, no, I mean, I, I don't I don't think I'm, I'm uh, buying a Claude Giroux Florida sweater. Um, but – I'll definitely be be watching them in the playoffs because God knows Chuck Fletcher and Dave Scott and uh, 
all the imbeciles in, in the Flyers' front office uh, can't p- put together a team for fans like me to watch in May and in June. So, uh, yeah, I, I'll be cheering on G. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think he he left he left it all out there for for the team, for the franchise, for the city. Um, I understand like people think it's his fault that they never won anything. I think that's a naive take. I think I think that's an incorrect take. Um, I think one of the biggest kind of mistakes that happened in G's career as a flyer uh, goes out to Peter Laviolette when when Giroux laid out Crosby and scored that goal in game six at the Wells Fargo Center to beat the Penguins uh, in the quarterfinals in 2012. After the game, Peter, Peter Laviolette said that Claude, Claude Giroux was the best player in the world. And I think I think that was unfair. Like I, I because you know how Philly fans are that they latch on to anything like that, and you know the folks that are I don't want to say bandwagon fans, but like you know they're in when the Flyers are good and they're out when when they're not. And I totally understand why they are that way. But for, for people like that, when you hear the coach call G the the best player in the world, like that sets way too high of expectations. And he was playing at a high level at that time in, in the early 2010s in those years, but he was never the best player in the world. He was never top three. He was maybe top five or top 10. He wasn't the best player from Canada. I mean, we talked about the fact that he wasn't on some of those Canadian Olympic rosters. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think it was 18. They didn't go. And then in 14, I think 14 was like the only year, um, that was kind of up for debate. And I, I, I remember looking it up after we talked about it months ago. And I don't know if he was left off of that squad, if it was because he was hurt and, and didn't go to the workouts over the summer before the NHL season uh, of that Olympic year. But no, I mean, he, he was not the best player in the world. But that, that gave these ho-hum, middle-of-the-road fans this expectation that we've got Sidney Crosby or that we've got Connor McDavid and and you look at the game today Connor McDavid is above and beyond the best player in hockey and the Edmonton Oilers fucking stink they're, well, they're I not I don't think anyone's claiming G's the best player in the world today uh no no but I'm, that's not what I'm saying I'm yeah. just I'm just saying that just because you have one superstar in the NHL and you can have the best player in the world Connor McDavid might be the best talent that's ever played in the NHL in the history of earth, that team stinks. They, I don't think they've won a playoff round. They're not going to win a Stanley cup unless Edmonton overhauls that team a little bit. And they have another star with them in Leon Dreisaitl. So for all the people that say strip the C it was G's fault. He didn't do enough. And that's why the flyers didn't win a cup in his tenure. You're an idiot and you, you don't watch. Oh, well, yeah. Yes. And no, I mean, I, I don't I don't disagree in that the the Flyers overall team success like you can't pin that on one guy in a team sport um you know I I could look more at the goaltending over the last decade than anything um and, and their and their their D-line which has been you know even Provorov's taken you know not even a step back I'd say a a full leap backwards over the last few years but I I do want to like point out like, like he was a good player, but like the play that everybody talks about being the signature G moment came 10 fucking years ago. 
It was 2012 when he laid out Sidney Crosby and, and LaViolette called him the best player in the world. So he's what? He's 34 now. And his best moment, his signature moment came at age 24. Um, obviously, some of that is due to the fact that that the, that particular moment was a, was a playoff game. And obviously, the Flyers have been pretty shoddy since then. But I think we all need to stop and just and just take a moment and say, like, his signature moment came at 24. Yeah, he's had some good years, 30 goals, whatever, 100-point seasons. But, like, there's just something about him where he's, like, a little too – he's a little too passive. Like, like he was fired up in the, in that moment um, when he laid out Crosby, stuffs that goal home, slams the glass. Like, I didn't see enough of that juice over the last 10 years. I think I get that. I get that a little bit. Um but I don't. Can you totally blame the guy? I mean, he's playing on these dog shit teams that he, you know, look at 2018 for an example. Like he had the hat trick in Game 82 against the New York Rangers to to seal the uh, the playoff berth that season. Uh, and and I believe he was top three in MVP voting that season. And that that was four years ago. Yeah, but uh, he had taken some steps back in his play uh, years prior. Um, where am I going with this? But like, how can you get that fired up when when all they did after 2012 was make the playoffs every other year and, and not even win a round? Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. I just think the fire and the juice and the energy is supposed to give you the spark to make it to the first round or the second round or the you know the the, the finals or the conference finals. Like, he seems like a guy that if the pieces are there. He can be a complimentary guy, especially, I mean, I'm talking about in his prime, especially at this stage of his career. We kind of know what he is. But in terms of like a captain, like I'm seeing, I'm driving down the, the turnpike and you got the digital, the digital billboards. And like, you would have thought this guy led like the U.S. Army for 10 years, the way they talk about his leadership and cap. Thank you, Captain Giroux. Like. What did he lead? He didn't lead much. He led a band of losers for an eight-year, $64 million contract. And then on G-Night, a thousand games, the patch, the grilled cheeses. I mean, this 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 smelled like a like a, a, a Phillies type move. Oh, we're a family organization. They bring his old man into the locker room and he reads off the starting lineup. Did you watch that video? Yeah. He couldn't even fucking pronounce the name of half of the guys in the starting lineup, Mr. Giroux. So like, again, and I hammer the Wentz stuff and the family talk and the baby talk and the wife and this, that, the dogs, the whole thing. He's Mr. Family, man. Is Papa Giroux even watching this team? He probably doesn't even waste his time. I wouldn't blame him, but I, I don't know if you can get on him too hard. I, there was a video that they played uh, at the beginning of the game after the ceremonies, and it was like, Drew's parents, you know, congratulating him and wishing him well, whatever. Uh, I believe they're French Canadian, and I, I don't think either of his parents speak very, very much or speak English very well. Okay, well then I stand corrected. I did not realize that English was not their primary language. I was simply, I was like, what's what's going on with this guy? So that makes a lot more sense. It was definitely a little, little awkward. I, I hear where you're coming from. Yeah, and like maybe we don't put the guy in front of the room like with the starting lineup when his primary. Like language is in English. Like again, the Flyers can't make a good decision. Any like even when they think they're doing something right, they do it wrong. Um, 
But you haven't answered the question. Let's get back to the question. If Claude Giroux hoists a cup in Florida and the cup makes a tour back to Philadelphia and stops at Xfinity Live, I mean, I couldn't even imagine that the Flyers are going to have a ceremony at Wells Fargo Center. They couldn't. Could they? I mean, I hope not. For the oh, sake God, of the franchise. No. They cannot have Claude Giroux bring the cup at center ice of the Wells Fargo. You just can't do it. So let's assume the cup shows up at Xfinity Live. Will you be there? No, absolutely not. No, I wouldn't be there. You won't be there to celebrate G? No, no. I mean, it's it's going to give me something to watch in the playoffs, some, some something to root for. Uh, a guy that that gave his all, you know, for for our city, and, and and he did so without like much much drama. I mean, I talked about the Laviolette quote, but I mean, the amount of times that Giroux had had to stand in front of that media after so many lackluster efforts and so many embarrassing losses and whatnot and he never really said anything too controversial that that made people like hate him or anything i feel like the only thing i ever really wanted to hear out of g that i didn't was like that he was like sorry or remorseful that that he didn't win the cup for us but like i feel like the way he carried himself the way he played like that that kind of went without saying a little bit and for me and i don't know how you feel bomb but like given our age you know 30-ish. Um, I don't really have too much of a memory of like the Lindros and LeClaire in that era. And then, you know, the Richards and Carter era. Lindros doesn't have too much memory of that era either, by the way. Yeah, no. Um, but like the Richards and Carter era, that kind of peaked when Claude Giroux was kind of added to the mix. Uh, and he popped off in the 2010 Cup final run. He scored the OT goal to win game three against the Blackhawks in the cup final. We talked about the Pittsburgh series, the hat trick, the shift with Crosby. Um, wait, 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 you're calling it the shift? They call it the shift, man. <laughs> it was Come the first on, shift man. of the game. Come on, man. But like, no, my, I think the point, like the reason that I love G and the, and the reason that I think a lot of the people that, that love him like they do is because he's like our fondest memory of, of Flyers hockey. Like, now you're shaking your head now. I mean, here's the thing. A first-line Flyers captain that's a centerman needs to be big, fast, strong. Needs to be able to drop the gloves. I don't think he had much of that at all. I felt like he I felt like he was a guy that could easily be leaned on, forced off the puck. Yeah, he put up some points, but he needed he really needed another star. Like I, I will give him credit. Like Crosby had Malkin. Like this guy didn't have anything close to that. I think we can all agree Vorchek was a stiff. Like, yeah, he put up some numbers, but like I was never a Vorchek guy. I mentioned earlier the one year, you know, the one year or two, I think it was one year, they had Yager. Uh, that that team looked different. So like I fully get that, I fully get that like he didn't have pieces around him that that elevated his play. But at the same time, the mold of a first line Flyers like superstar center has to be a guy that's big, strong, fast, and can drop the gloves. Like this team has not been built the right way for quite some time. And I think I, I mean I don't know if you agree with that, but. Judging by the results and the success, it's just not there. So let's get back to beating the shit out of people. No, I think I would agree with that a little bit. But, I mean, if you, if you really wanted to go down the rabbit hole and, and 
look at what what they're doing now. I mean, they just re-signed that bum Ristolainen for five years and gave him a bag, and he's a he's a tough to play against guy, a guy that throws some checks and throws his body around. But by all the advanced metrics in hockey, he's a complete stiff. So I mean, is that how you want to build a team? I no, don't know. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. I'm saying like, in in my opinion, they need a guy like Keith Primo. Keith Primo is great. Like, you know, you're talking about like the best, you know, the best time, the best flyers years. And like, it came with G like, I could not disagree more. Like obviously the flyers go to the cup in 97 and yes, we were young. Um, obviously they got stomped by like an all time historic Detroit Red Wings team, but those flyers teams that admittedly played pre lockout. So like I get the game changed after the lockout. Um, and then they lost in the Eastern conference finals to Tampa Bay. Those were the best flyers teams in my memory. And I don't even think it's close. No, I, I can agree with that. I can get down with that a little bit. Like the Gagne primo era of like the early two thousands. Um, I think I was just kind of more saying that like, I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you at five years old. I remember the, the, uh, the trip to the Stanley cup final with Lindros and Leclerc against Detroit. But I mean, dude, you, you, you said, you know, Giroux was was an easy guy to knock around, and maybe he was at times. But I mean, even think back to to Game Seven when they completed the comeback against Boston, being down three zero. I mean, who was in Boston's end, going one on three or one on four, holding the puck against the boards and, and killing clock at the end of that game? That was Claude Giroux. And people also forget on on the Cup run in the Eastern Conference Finals against Montreal. Remember when Mike Richards had the shift and scored that shorthanded goal, laying out with the goalie and everything. Who flipped that puck down the ice? It was Claude Giroux. So, I mean, he's, he he wasn't perfect. He wasn't the best flyer ever. He's a top five flyer. I think he deserved... He's a top five flyer? Yeah, 100%. I mean, let's just... Do we need to get on the list? I mean, I mean Lindros, least... Bobby Clark, Perrant. I got John McClare ahead of, uh, ahead of Giroux. Yeah, I mean... I don't know how long LeClaire played for the Flyers, so. Well, I mean, are we doing it based on, like, length of time? Like, what about, like, Bill Barber? What about, like. I think Bill Barber's in there, yeah. I think you're looking at Barber, Perron. What about Reggie Leach? Lindros, Bobby Clark, and Giroux. I mean, what about Re- Reggie Leach isn't in there? I mean, the guy just stuffed goals in the back of the net. Yeah. I mean, it's up for debate. I'm just telling you how I feel, but. In terms of longevity and, you know, the the big, the the brightest moments of my Flyers viewership, 2010 Cup Final, I was a senior in high school. That was like a magical time in my life. 2012, I was a sophomore in college in State College and talking shit to people on the streets in their Penguins gear because Claude Giroux is absolutely lighting them up. Like... I don't know. And even through the mediocre years of of the past eight, eight to 10 years, like most of those years, I'm still watching 70 to 75 games a year because of Claude Giroux. Cause that guy could pop off at, at any moment. And yeah, he had, he had a down year or two, but I mean, just as recent as, as three, four years ago, he's, he's top three MVP hundred points, you know, was the only reason the flyers made the playoffs and we're still competitive. So I, I understand that, People think there were shortfalls and maybe he could have been traded sooner, but 
that 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 was out of his control to me. Um, yeah, it's my, on the team. I'm not I'm not bringing that up. I mean, yeah. you know you know who he kind of reminds me of in terms of like, and this is this is going to shortchange G a bit, but I need to at least make like this analogy. Like I feel like Philadelphia fans are are like totally enamored with like longest tenured athlete in the city. Um, and like we hear, oh, gee, a thousand games, this, that, and the other. Oh, the cap, thank you, Captain Drew. Like him leaving kind of reminds me a bit of like, and again, unfair, Mike Lieberthal. Like Lieberthal, by all counts, like decent catcher, had decent numbers. Like I, I wouldn't say he was ever really the player that G was, but like longevity, he was like always kind of there. The team was always kind of mediocre. And again, Giroux's teams had more success than, than Mike Lieberthal's. But like, you know, career batting average of 274, 150 home runs as a catcher, nothing to sneeze at. But like there's, there was just something off about that guy's leadership ability, in my opinion, as a catcher, that reminds me of Giroux. Like kind of understated, never really a guy that like took the bull by the horns, never really a guy that preached accountability. And you think about like where the Phillies came from. They had a, they had Darren Dalton, obviously a guy who was fiery. Um, their championship team, they get, had a guy in, in Chooch who would do anything for the team. Like I think in the long run, the Phillies making this move, even though or the Phillies, the Flyers making this move, even though the Hall really isn't there just because of where G is at this time in his career. Like I think sometimes that culture change is needed in a locker room, and the question is like who's going to be the guy that steps up and fills that void now. No, I think that's a fair point. I mean, through the number of coaches and general managers that that he played for, you still saw a lot of recurring themes under his captainship, the blowout losses, the 10-game losing streaks. Um, so there is something to be said for that. Um, he, I mean, he was a part of it all. He was the captain. He was the leader. And, uh, yeah, there's there's definitely questions about accountability in that regard. And, um, you know, I, 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 I won't deny that. Uh, and I won't deny that that he played a part in it, but um, I mean Thursday and like all the social media stuff, they they did a nice job, and you know it, it cut pretty deep. Um, but I'm lucky I'm lucky that we waited till Tuesday to do this podcast. We're post trade, um, and you kind of just alluded to it. Like it's time to move on. It's time to move forward. It's time for this front office ownership, uh, all the old heads that have been part of the Flyers family for the last 500 fucking years. It's time for everybody to figure it the fuck out because this team sucks. Uh, they're they're unwatchable. Um, they're and we can't talk about them. I mean, thank God Claude Drew had his thousandth game and got traded because that's the only thing worth watching and worth talking about all, all season with this team. So it's time to move on. You know, I'll be curious to see this Tippett guy. Apparently, he had some potential, but but couldn't stick with Florida. Um, you know, may, maybe he comes here, changes scenery, and he pops with us, but. I mean, our young kids don't pop. We had the Hextall era with the draft and develop and all these guys that were supposed to be better and and surpass Claude Giroux by the time he was 34. They haven't done so because they can't develop shit. Uh, it's just a complete dumpster fire. And that's another problem with, you know, the most recent era of Flyers hockey is Claude Giroux wasn't supposed to be their best player anymore. And at 34, he still was. That's a huge issue. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So... I don't know how you feel, Bomb, but I'm going to say best of luck to GM Florida. I'll be watching. It's going to give us something to watch, something to root for. Um, but my instant reaction when I heard Florida, I was like, I don't think they get it done this year. 
Yeah, I agree. I think everyone can root, root. You know, at least now you have a team with some, you know, rooting interest. You can root for the Panthers. It's not like he's getting traded to the Lightning, where it's like, oh my god, like, you know, now we got to watch this again. Like, it would be nice to see a new team win it. But I do find it odd that he is going there, and some of it I think is like time zone related with his family, and also like state income tax. But like, it seems like Colorado's a wagon, and if he really wanted to win. I would imagine you would go there. Um, I get there's probably some other dynamics, particularly like playing at altitude and like getting used to that into the stretch run here, but like you're a professional athlete. Um, So I just, I think some of the moves that he made and like the flyers handled it pretty classy. Like Chuck Fletcher said, like, look, G earned this no trade clause. Like it was his call to determine where he wanted to go. Like I agree to an extent, but it really hand-strung the Flyers in terms of what kind of package they could get back. There was no bidding war. It was instead they just cashed the check from G Knight, a thousand games, uh, twenty thousand grilled cheese sandwiches, uh, you know, a bunch of patches on a jersey that they're probably slinging in the pro shop. So you know, good for G. But I think he could have done more to help this team and say like, how do we? Not that it's his job, like rebuild the roster because he was failed every step of the way, but. Like, I think, I don't know, man. I mean, I think, I think like you're around that long, like the Flyers should have had the opportunity to kind of look at a couple of different things, find a way to make it work. But ultimately their hands were tied and he goes to Florida. That's it, man. That's it. Let's move along here. We'll, uh, let's talk a little hoops. I mean, I said at the top, hopefully, uh, everybody's bracket's still in shape. Um, I'll say my bracket is pretty ugly, but the final four is still intact, baby. I got Villanova, Kansas, um, UCLA, and the fourth team is bypassing my mind at the moment. Um, you have Kansas. I got Kansas. Duke, Duke, UCLA, Duke, Kansas. Duke was my fourth team. Yeah, Duke, UCLA, Nova, Kansas, all still kicking. Bomb, uh, 50% left, man. Busted. Champions out. Auburn stinks. They laid an egg. No guard play. I mean, how do these teams get to, like, these top seeds, top, you know, two lines, and they don't have a fucking guard that can dribble the basketball? Yeah, Auburn was number one in the country, I think, at one point this year. But too much SEC love from Bomb. Auburn and Tennessee are gone, but he's still hanging on with UCLA and Texas Tech. Um but, I mean, a lot of basketball this weekend, four days, nonstop action. A- any takeaways, uh, a- anything you wanted to mention, Bob? Yeah, I mean, obviously we could sit here all day and talk about a school like St. Peter's, right? Um, good for them. I think, uh, what, the third 15 seed to make it to the Sweet 16 behind uh, Florida Gulf Coast, Dunk City back in the day. It was a beautiful thing when they knocked out Georgetown. Um, and I think Oral Roberts – uh, I think last year actually, um, which was kind of a blur just because of the whole COVID thing. But no, my takeaway is this. I want to propose a new rule for March Madness for the NCAA tournament. There was a first round game played on uh, St. Patrick's Day here, Thursday, March 17th. And it was the St. Mary's Gales five seed, 27 and seven coming into the game. And the Indiana Hoosiers, a 12 seed, 21 and 15 on the year, 
I don't know how how else to say this, G, but there needs to be an Indiana rule. And the rule would be as follows. Unless Indiana has a, a three-seater higher, they shouldn't be allowed in the tournament. They're a 12 seed. Nobody's rooting for Indiana as an underdog. And they got fucking embarrassed Thursday, losing by 29 points. They lost 82 to 53. I'm watching these assholes in the candy cane fucking warm-up pants come out, run around. They strip them off. They got five assholes out on the court who like look like they've never seen the movie Hoosiers before. No one wants to see that. Like, if you're gonna put a 12 seed in or a bubble team in, like it cannot be Indiana. They they they've stunk in recent memory. Frankly, they haven't been good since they had Eric Gordon back in the day, right? Maybe 10, 10 years ago. Um, in my opinion, they can't be allowed in the tournament unless they're a three seater higher. Now, would you apply that across the board to like all storied college basketball programs? There's only other there's only probably two other schools I'd apply it to, and it's Duke and Kentucky. Like I'd even give UNC the benefit of the doubt, like because they've looked good as a as a as an eight seed here or nine seed, whatever they were. But like no one's rooting for twelve seed Indiana, other than other than their fans. No one wants to see that. Like hell, I, I I'd rather watch like Del Val University D three go play St Mary's than than Indiana. Um, and, and they gave no effort. They got fucking throttled. No, I hear it, man. I mean. It is interesting to see like a storied program come in by the skin of their teeth and then just kind of waste, waste the appearance. Give me, give me somebody, give me a New Mexico state or some somebody out in the middle of nowhere that's going to come in and, and shock the world or, or play their bag off because this, this is like their Super Bowl moment. Yeah. And like, you know, I get there, I get that some of these smaller conferences only get one, one team in because the auto bid. And I guess the committee doesn't think highly enough of the, conference runner up but like a middle of the road indiana team that is just barely above 500 i think they're 21 and 14 coming into the game that played in like the weak ass big 10 like you really think they deserve it over a team maybe that is like a runner up in one of these smaller conferences like i don't want to see that so that's the indiana rule uh you heard it here first i'm proposing it starting next year they got to be a three-seater higher to get in i like it it's a shame we didn't do like we did for college football, like our, our weekly uh, field of 68. Could, could you imagine if we did that leading up to Selection Sunday? Oh, man. I don't think anybody wants to hear us try to pull an Artie. Yeah, I, th- I think my, my, my head would have exploded trying to do that. But, no, we got uh, Sweet 16 starts Thursday uh, locally. Villanova Wildcats taking on the Michigan Wolverines. Uh, cats are... Four and a half point favorite Thursday evening at 729. And then uh, we got some Sweet 16 Elite Eight action in Philadelphia, I believe, at the Wells Fargo Center. Uh, St. Peter's and Purdue and North Carolina and UCLA uh, Friday night, 709 and 939, uh, respectively. Two winners of those games will play Sunday at the center. Um, if you're going down, enjoy. I was kind of perusing some tickets and seeing if that might be a possibility this weekend. It's a little steep. It'll also be a long night watching two games in a row, so I don't know if I'm going to pull the trigger, but um, pretty cool to see that, that the tourney is local this year. You've never done a doubleheader college hoops game? I haven't done it, no. Uh, last last time I did it, I don't even think it was a big five game. I actually think it was like a – 
I just remember being a kid. I forget where the game was. Maybe it was the Spectrum. Maybe it was the Palestra. Maybe I'm dead wrong there. But the living legend that is Marvin O'Connor for St. Joe's. I just remember being at a doubleheader and Marvin O'Connor just torching Dayton. And, uh, man, those were the days, man. That's good stuff. Yeah, I think I might be too old. Not not have enough energy for for that kind of effort, uh, staying in the building, keeping the, the the beers going and and everything like that. So, I'll most likely be p- planted on my couch somewhere, locked in, uh, doing a little mo- more viewing than, than last weekend. But I mean, let's take it over to uh, to the diamond, man. I mean, how about our boy Middleton? We had uh, we had Dan Hirschberg from Workhorse on last week, and we asked him about you know the next team to win. A championship in this city and he called out john middleton he said he's got to spend the cash um so john thanks for listening to episode 39 and thanks for going out and and spending the cash on kyle schwarber and nick castellanos did i get that right on the first try been thinking about that all day yeah um so filling out the lineup um i don't know if schwarber is going to play in the field at all what the plan is there but Definitely, definitely beefing up, beefing up the bats. Um, good to see. We were kind of talking before the show. Good to see John going out and spending that cash, trying to bring in some talent and, and, and give us a, a winner this year. So, uh, any reaction to the signings uh, or the moves in this past week? No, I don't think you can sit here and bitch about the signings or complain about the signings when everyone last week was bitching about how they don't spend any money. So I'm all about it. This team has had no juice for 10 years, nine years, whatever it's been, um, when they first started trading, you know, Rollins, Utley, all these guys. So it's going to be nice to finally see some energy down at the ballpark. And this team, the way it's currently constructed, is probably going to remind us a lot of those 07, 08 Phillies teams that just – bashed your fucking brains in um you know those july august games where they're beating teams 13 to 10 14 14 8 i don't think there's going to be a ton of of uh, of pitching you know obviously they signed familia who's terrible awful uh, a mets bum i heard a guy call into the radio and say that yuri's familia makes hector nearest look like mariana rivera uh so that, that that's hilarious but um yeah, they're just going to have to outscore teams. And I think this is the way to do it, particularly with the DH coming to the National League. Just just stack guys that just fucking swing for the fences. Um, Schwarber does it. Castellanos does it. Harper does it. Harper's a little bit of a more complete hitter than Schwarber, obviously. Um, the, the thing that's concerning for me is, you know, a team, a team that's built like this, which is obviously going to be an offensive juggernaut, they got to be strong up the middle defensively if you're going to have poor poor or middle-of-the-road pitching. And I think like a guy like Gregorius just doesn't get it done. And the fact that they're platooning in center field, you know, Rayo Muto is strong at, at, at catcher, but, man, I mean, if I'm Joe Girardi, if I'm, you know, in the front office of the Phillies, I'd be looking at maybe eating this this DD contract and saying, "Hey, let's start the youth movement a year early. Let's put Bryson start at Bryson Stott at short, 
give us a little bit of speed, give us a little bit of gap to gap type power versus that Gregorius just he just you know drops the back shoulder and tries to pull one over the wall. And by the way, he's a terrible defender. Uh, look at every advanced metric. Look at look at his range. Look at his his arm. He makes errors all over the field. He doesn't get the balls. He's just washed up. I, I think with with all the money they spent and all the talented guys that they have, all these veterans, I, I think you need a youth movement at that position in particular. And if they can do that, I think that you know this team has a chance. And who's playing second, Segura? I'd imagine it's still Segura. And then what? You got Bomb? Is Bomb going to be the? Uh, are you playing third this year? <laughs> I don't know. Um, he needs a bounce back year. He needs a he needs a big bounce back year. Um, and he's another one that that really was poor at third. So that's my point. Like you want you you need to be strong up the middle. I think Segura is a decent. He's not. He's he's no Chase Utley with with the glove. Um, but you know, obviously converting from shortstop to second base, there's some arm, arm talent there on balls up the middle. I just think I just think you got you got to do everything you can to try to help your pitchers out, particularly if you have these liabilities like Hoskins. Um, you know, I don't know how much of the field Schwarber is going to be playing, but you know, some of these guys are real liabilities out there. So you got to be strong up the middle. Yeah, I mean, it feels like the lineup should be stacked. Should be no issue scoring runs, but. I think back to when we started talking on this podcast at the end of last summer, just the little things, the defense, the pitching. Uh, those are the questions that are going to have to be answered. But like you said, kind of at the top of the segment, like you can't bitch about them not not spending the money and uh, you know trying to bring some big names in, some some big bats in. That's what they've done, and it's just going to come down to defense with this team. But have to say. Uh, you know, it's a little bit more exciting to, to look forward to Phillies baseball now with, with some bigger names uh, coming in. Yeah, and, and gee, the fact of the matter is here, this team has kind of mirrored the Flyers. Um, their supposed prospects haven't panned out. Um, their development has been pathetic. They've missed on guys. They've they've moved guys. I mean, um, it, it's just been really poor from – their scouting to their international signings to development all the way up through into the big leagues. And luckily, unlike hockey, um, you know, there's no salary cap. There is obviously a luxury tax. But when you have a team that has no prospects really on the horizon, you're only the only way you can improve your ball club is to just spend your way out of it. And if anyone is saying, oh, you know, we shouldn't have spent this money or this team is going to get old fast, no shit they will. But they have to, you have to spend your way out of it when your farm system looks the way the Phillies does. Yeah, that's like the, that's the uh, conundrum kind of with the Flyers now is that the young talent hasn't gotten it done. And the guys that they've brought in, like at the end of the Hextall era, they signed JVR. Uh, granted, that was probably too soon and probably not Hextall that pushed for that. Uh, but then they they bring in Hayes. I mean, they sign these guys to lucrative long-term deals that's taking up the cap in hockey uh, and, and betting on their youngsters to take steps forward. And and, and it's you, you, you see the result of it. I mean, it's fallen completely flat. They stink. And Giroux's gone. And even with his contract coming off the books, they, they still have nowhere to go because they've just got money tied up and older guys that aren't aren't playing to their full potential. 
and their younger guys that they committed to, uh, you know, and put their their money on hasn't it hasn't panned out either. So I feel like the only way to get out of those situations when you have a shitty farm system and shitty young town is to to try to you know pick up guys, pick up older guys, and, and pay them. And uh, it's really not the ideal way to build teams, but. You know, if people want something entertaining to watch and, and they don't want to watch slop and they don't want to tank and they don't want to draft and stash and process, this is what you get. Yep. All right, I guess we'll round it out with uh, with the NFL. I mean, we talked about chips flying all over the table and guys going here and there. Um, Got to give a quick shout-out to you, Bob. I mean, I mean, stay hot. Um I mean, it didn't happen in Philly, but the, the Devontae Adams and Derek Carr reunion, it's on. Um, Devontae Adams is a Las Vegas Raider. Um, so it'll be interesting to see him out there with Waller and, and Carr. Um, I don't know if Henry Ruggs will be back in the fold for them, but um, very interesting move there uh, with Rodgers coming back. And sticking with Green Bay, I mean, what's their plan for him now? Was was he aware of what was going on with Devontae in that situation? So, pretty wild. Um, Allen Robinson signed, I believe, a three-year deal with the the Los Angeles Rams, our reigning Super Bowl champ. Uh, so he'll he'll look to kickstart his career uh, and get producing again uh, in L.A. with Stafford and Cup and and our boy McVay. Um, and we got Deshaun Watson traded to the Cleveland Browns. We got Matty Ice to the Colts. There's a new deuce in Indy, and he's an old, broken, and battered guy from Downingtown. I guess Jim Irsay and Frank Reich would ra- rather have that deuce uh, than Carson Wentz. But I-, I don't know if I'm missing any bomb, but a- any thoughts, reactions, comments uh, on the shuffle around the NFL this past week? I mean, let's just jump into it. I mean, the fact that the Colts have to go with old ass, basically a fossil at this point, Matt Ryan, is shocking. And they wriggled out of that, you know, that that that, that trade that they made for Deuce. And now they're they're gonna roll, you know, run it back with an older quarterback and you know, still a ton of money owed. It's it's shocking, and it tells you the kind of guy Wentz is in the locker room because I don't know that Matt Ryan is a true upgrade on the field at this stage of his career, but he's a definite upgrade in the quarterback room, in the locker room, in the community, as a teammate, as a guy who uh, is, a, is a reporting employee to the coach, the general manager, and the owner. So I give the Colts a lot of credit. Like I said last year, I didn't think there was a team that did more to improve their quarterback room than the Philadelphia Eagles. And uh, early grades for the Indianapolis Colts, I don't think a team has done more to improve their quarterback room than the Indianapolis Colts, even better than Denver. I think uh, I think it's – I mean, I'm not going to grade the move itself, but, I mean, in terms of, like, a situation for Matt Ryan to try to go win, like, that team is built to win. Like if maybe if they got Matt Ryan last year uh, or somebody more serviceable than Deuce, like say maybe if Stafford had ended up going to the Colts last year uh, in in some other universe, like 
all you got to do is hand the ball to Jonathan Taylor and then hit a couple play-action passes, and their defense is pretty solid. So it'll be interesting to see if Matty Ice can, can still chuck it a little bit because on that team as the quarterback, you don't have to really do a whole lot to have, have success, I feel like. Yeah, and let's not forget, before the collapse last year and before they brought in Carson Wentz to play quarterback and be their be their uh, face of the franchise, really, to try to be an MVP caliber quarterback, and we know he failed before before all that occurred. They had Philip Rivers, who led them to a playoff spot, eleven and five. They they were a really great team, and they thought Wentz was kind of going to be that stabilizer at QB. So this is a team that's built to win. You said it. How do you feel about the Deshaun Watson move? Like, is he, is he, can we confirm, is he clear of, of the allegations? I think criminally. I'm not sh- so sure civilly. Uh, I'm not a law expert, but I'd imagine if he's able to escape any type of civil responsibility that he'd be free and clear to play, I'd imagine, because at that point you don't have any. You know, there would there would be really nothing for Roger Goodell to suspend him on. I think the league obviously has been lucky in that Watson didn't want to play. Uh, the Texans shelved them for a year. So really, the NFL has not had to take action. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I'm not quite sure on what next steps are civilly or otherwise. Um, but is it just me or does this seem like a really bizarre move by Cleveland. Like you're almost trading one set of headaches for another and paying top dollar for it. Yeah. I mean, unless, unless they know, know something that we don't and it's not going to be much of a headache. Like I just kind of think about Deshaun Watson and Maury Cooper and, and adding that to, to the Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt monster in the backfield. Um, I mean, I liked that team last year, uh, Clearly, I was wrong. Clearly, Baker Mayfield is a complete bum. Um, but they have the ground game. I think they have have the strength on the O line and the D line. And if Watson is is full go and no issues, and Amari Cooper is still producing, like that could be a pretty nasty offense. And they they were kind of hit with the injury bug last year on both sides of the ball. I think they have a good defense too. Like I think that's a team. I mean. Two years ago, that they were uh, they were right there in it with the Chiefs. I mean, obviously Mahomes left that game and everything, but um, they were right there. And in, in the playoffs, on 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 the uh, on the edge of a run, and uh, I I feel like these additions kind of push them back into the conversation. In the AFC. I think it's fool's gold. I think what you just said, how you started your your comment saying, unless they know something, we don't. Since when have the Cleveland Browns known something that we don't? (laughs) Think about that franchise. They're incompetent at every level, up to and through ownership. Jimmy Haslam's a fucking idiot. So, you know, if he can play, if he can't play, I don't know. If these allegations are true, if they aren't true, I don't know. But, like, just just look at the sniff test here and and – like you're pairing like Deshaun Watson with Kareem Hunt. Like, and I know there are allegations and I know nothing's been confirmed on the Deshaun Watson front, but like Kareem Hunt has been. And it seems like they're trying to build like the Dallas Cowboys of the North. 
Yeah, you, you you make a good point. I I just think it it speaks volumes to what they what they think and how they feel about Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's a locker room thing. I mean, obviously he didn't play well last year, but but I, and I'm I'll just be the first to say it. I'm not a Baker Mayfield guy. I don't want him as my quarterback. But like this guy was injured. He I mean he had every injury known to man last year. And basically, because it wasn't a head injury, he he just stuck it out and played through it. I have to wonder if he if he raised his hand and pulled a deuce and said, ah, I can't play, you know, take my helmet. Does this turn out differently for him? And I think the other thing that's interesting is Cleveland isn't so far removed from winless seasons. I mean, I think there was a a two-season uh, 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 window where Hugh Jackson was the head coach. I think they won one game. And Mayfield leads the team to the playoffs, and they were, you know, they took a step back last year, but I think, you know, obviously he was injured. I mean, I'm not saying he's like a can't miss, you know, he obviously was the first pick of the draft, so that confers different expectations than a guy who maybe is picked in the third round. Like if Baker Mayfield was a third round pick, like is Cleveland saying, yeah, we're sticking with this guy, he's developed, he's won, but I think they're almost giving him an unfair shake. He he models the characteristics of a city like Cleveland. He plays through injuries. He's tough. He wears his heart on his sleeve. And I don't know what goes on behind closed doors. Maybe there's some locker room stuff there. But just in looking at what he's delivered compared to the recent issues with the Cleveland Browns, I think it's an absolute injustice, the fact that this guy's not back. Justice for Baker. Bomb start starting the hashtag, starting the trend. Yeah, and I, and to be honest, gee, I, I wouldn't say that for any other franchise other than Cleveland. Like if Baker Mayfield played for the Texans and he was the first pick and you know, they made the playoffs this one year and they're you know what I mean, and they and they kind of flamed out like I would I would say, Oh yeah, probably a good move to move on and go with go in another direction. But it's Cleveland. And like they're they always stunk. wrong. They always will stink because of ownership and leadership. And like this guy, you know, took them to the playoffs. People forget that that uh, uh, non-targeting call in Kansas City, the fumble at the goal line through the back of the end zone, the touchback, they, 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 they were well on their way to winning that game with Mayfield at the helm. And it wasn't like a 10-3 game. Like they were scored. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying justice for Baker, but – Due to the fact that it's Cleveland, justice for Baker. They can thank me for for that that bullshit no call and that targeting. I had Cleveland money line that day. <laughs> but now you're right about the injuries. He was he was really dinged up and could barely barely move or barely stand by like the end of the season last year. So you got to do you you do have to give the guy some credit for standing in there and playing and not not handing over the helmet and looking for the ball cap. Um, I think the last one I mentioned at the top of the segment was was Allen Robinson. Uh, I don't know how to measure like what these guys get paid. I think he got three years, forty five mil. I don't know if fifteen is like a crazy salary or not for a wide receiver. Um, but I feel like that was kind of one of the guys that that maybe the Eagles could bring in, like a veteran guy to to pair with Devontae Smith. And given that he hasn't produced uh, at a great rate the last year or two, uh, maybe could have got him on the cheap. Uh, obviously not going to happen, 
Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he can kind of, uh, you know, get back on track in his career there. Uh, I did see the Eagles are bringing that Zach Pascal from Indianapolis. He's a wide receiver. I, I don't I don't know what to make of that. That doesn't really feel like a like an Alshon or like a Tory Smith move to me. Like, has that guy really done done all that much for it, him to be like the veteran acquisition? They, I mean, it's so funny the stuff that comes out. They're like, oh, he had back to back six hundred yard seasons, as if like that's the barometer for anything. Like, I read something that this guy had a lower grade on him via pro football focus than than Jalen Rager, which I find hard to believe. Like, there's no way that this guy is going out there and muffing punts in playoff games. So I don't hate I don't hate the the pickup. I I kind of question the fact that somebody has him graded lower than Rager. I really there's there's no way. There no one's I don't care what the advanced stats say. I don't care what the analytics say. I don't care what the, oh, he runs 19.4 miles an hour at top end speed. And you just have to watch Jalen Rager in a game to know that this guy fucking stinks and a fucking a lawn chair would be better out there than him. So I don't hate the move as long as he's the guy that becomes the new Jalen Rager or like, you know, they cut Rager because of this guy or they move Rager because of this guy. Like, I don't know. I mean, similar bodies. I feel like he'd be a slot guy. It's, and he's like a special teamer, apparently. So nothing to write home about. But I just thought it was like interesting that people were like hyping up his yardage. And then, of course, the comparisons to Rager. We always have to talk about Jalen Rager. Can't be worse than what we've got. That's kind of my my thought. And whatever rating or ranking or web, website or um, company that that's doing those ratings and has Jalen Rager ranked over any high school football player uh, in Pennsylvania and in the nation uh, has zero credibility in, in my book, and and they they should be taken off of uh, taken off the interweb. Totally agree. Yeah, if two forty seven can go back and revise their their rankings of Rager in high school, that would be greatly appreciated. The guy doesn't even deserve half a star. I'm with you. Did you have anything else to touch on around the Eagles or the NFL right now? Yeah, I got to touch on Carson Wentz. And we talked a little bit about the rumor mill of what went on in the training room, Darren Sproles. You know, I made some comments on Instagram. I commented on a number of different posts. There's, you know, some, you know, you ever notice these guys on Instagram that like run these bizarre fan accounts? Like, and, and I don't know if this is an actual handle. So like, this is an example, but like, Philadelphia Eagles dot edits and they just like pump like they literally pump like state propaganda as if they're like Russian Pravda uh, for the Eagles. And they, they never say a bad word about any player. And, you know, they start talking about Wentz and wishing him good luck. And I forget the exact account it was, but, you know, bomb had to get in there and mix it up with these these heathens, man. I had to get in there and tell them, like, thank God Wentz is gone. They're wishing him luck. Oh, wish him luck. Wish him luck in Washington. Why are we wishing this guy anything? He's a bum. So I made the 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 comment that, you know, thank God, you know, the cancer's out of the locker room, um, you know, with uh, with the Darren Sproles story. And this guy gets back to me and says, oh, you know, that report by Jeff McClain was recycled from 2019. And it's not true. And Darren Sproles said good things about him later on, like as if a gun wasn't to his head. You know what I mean? The play nice with the guy who just got the bag from the Eagles. 
So it comes out, you know, LeGarrette Blunt last week is on the phone with Brian Mitchell, former Eagles returner, but obviously a Washington Redskin and now Washington Commander legend, Brian Mitchell. So he knows both franchises. He's a guy that when Jalen Hurts was inserted in the starting lineup over Wentz, Brian Mitchell came out and said that's a move that Doug Peterson had to make at the time. So Brian Mitchell is a guy I'd never question anything Brian Mitchell says about football because the way that guy played, he played balls to the wall uh, 100% every single time. I loved Brian Mitchell. Couldn't stand him when he was on, on the Redskins, but when he was an Eagle, man, this guy was awesome. And obviously he has, he has an affinity for a guy like Darren Sproles, playing the same position, undersized, guys tell you you can't do it, but two guys that were integral to the success of both of their respective franchises. So LeGarrette Blunt is on uh, with, with Brian Mitchell on the radio show and asked LeGarrette Blunt about some of the rumors that are going on with the locker room and Wentz. And Blunt is talking about it like so nonchalant as if like, hey, man, I wasn't there, but here's what I heard. And basically saying that, like, I guess Sproles had called him a me guy, called Wentz a me guy. Um, there was there was a lot of talk, I guess, in the training room about how talented the Eagles roster was that year, top to bottom. And the fact that that team could overcome anything and that they, they would win regardless of what occurred or who was a quarterback. And Deuce, being the man of faith that he is, put no faith in Nick Foles. Uh, Deuce uh, talked about how they wouldn't be in the position that they would be in if if uh, if he wasn't the starting QB um, and, you know, stated he was uncomfortable with the success of the team in his absence. So that's the backdrop. And I bring that up because Washington obviously has been playing this quarterback carousel all offseason. They wanted Wilson. They wanted Rodgers. Presumably they were in on Watson, although I'm not sure you can bring a guy like that to Washington, given the allegations around that franchise, although him and Dan Snyder would probably be fast friends, given, again, some of the allegations. Not saying they happened, just allegations. But they finally settle on Wentz. Indianapolis can't do enough to get out of this out of the contract with this guy and ship him off due to his, his cancerous presence in the locker room. And it turns out, how did they settle on Wentz, G? Turns out they called Indianapolis and were putting out feelers on Andrew fucking Luck. They wanted a retired guy who looks like an emaciated cancer patient the last time he was on national TV to play quarterback for them over Carson Wentz. So I wanted to bring that up. That's breaking news. That came out today. Stunning that they wanted a retired Colts quarterback over the former, uh, you know, currently playing Colts quarterback. The other thing I want to bring up, and this is, again, breaking news, Carson Wentz joined uh, a, uh, a, a a radio station, joined Brian Mitchell uh, last week after the trade. And I just want to read to you some excerpts. And I want to ask you, is this a guy that's going to strike fear in your heart when he comes into the link? So Brian Mitchell asked him uh, about playing in Philly, about playing in Indy about moving forward. How does he play at a high level for the commanders? What is it like being on his third team in three seasons? Here's a few selected excerpts from the bomb uh, from Carson Wentz. On 2017, I'm glad Carson can admit it, right? Here's the quote. Quote, it feels like an eternity ago. <laughs> for me, I'm always trying to evolve my game where I can get better. There have been ups and downs along the way. 
I think the biggest thing for me is how can I stay available? How can I stay healthy? Just trying to be smart, play smart, distributing the ball. I look forward to doing that and continuing to try to master the craft of the quarterback position. So let's talk about his health. Let's talk about his availability. And I'm not here to talk about vaccine, no vaccine, et cetera. But it has been reported publicly that Ron Rivera, due to the fact that he had cancer, was publicly excoriating his players for not getting the vaccine. So now you bring in Wentz, who literally was shipped out of Indianapolis because of the fact that he couldn't stay available, the fact that he he, he was a, a negative presence in the locker room, and I think partially due to the fact that he refused to get the vaccine and help relieve some of the stress around the protocols at the time. He's going into Washington now with Ron Rivera. I mean, is Ron Rivera going to stick his foot up this guy's ass? I can't wait to see that. The other thing he said, and gee, I'm, I'm sorry for going on a soliloquy here and just hogging the mic, but he had to get this in there. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a, a true interview. It wouldn't be a true interview with Carson Wentz until he talks about the following. What's different between your time now and 27, between you now and, and 2017, you? Not, not anything to do with the fact that he can't play football. Here's the quote. Quote, you grow up. I now have a wife and kids. You grow up as a man. You are always trying to learn. I think that is what this business is. Really, every business. You can never be complacent. You are always trying to grow and get better and have the people in your corner that truly want what is best for you and are willing to tell you. There are little things. There are big things. There's a lot of good I can continue to build upon. Just trying to be the best player, best leader, best husband, father, all of those things that I can be. So again, it's never about football. It's never just about doing your job, showing up to work, punching in early, punching out late, going above and beyond, being a team player. No, it's not enough to do that. He's more focused on being the best husband, father, outdoorsman, dog owner, property owner, bobcat driver he can be. I mean, I could not be happier that this guy is in Washington. We're going to see him twice this year. Presumably just this year, because I don't think Washington can keep this guy another year. And we're going to see him on the, you know, the game of the week when it's the the commanders against the Giants. Like we're going to have a front row seat to the second collapse of Wentz. I should say the third collapse of Wentz. And I cannot be more excited. So with that, I'm going to hand the floor back to my co-host, G. I am sorry, G. I am sorry, loyal listeners. But I had to get that off my chest. More of the same from this loser. Um Go right ahead. That's what we needed, man. No, no need to apologize. Um, it needs to be called out. And he, the guy talks about like the people in his corner and, and he just talks about his wife and like his kids. And when he went to Indy, he talked about being close to the relatives because he's got no football people in his corner. Cause everybody knows he's a fucking bum. Um, and then you talk about like the person commenting on the Instagram and, Oh, this isn't true, and it references back to 2019 and everything. Well, yeah, they they like Sproles isn't going to say anything back then when he's still on the team and still still has to see this guy every day at work. And like, what does Jeff McLean have to gain by by bashing Carson Wentz in 2022? The guy's two years removed from being an Eagle. 
So like those kind of comments, like you're, you're just living in another world. Like, I, I don't know what you're thinking. I mean, the writer has nothing to gain. The, the guy's out of town. Why would you report anything but the truth? Uh, and something that kind of lined up with, with what we saw transpire throughout the guy's time in Philadelphia. So, um, look forward to, to facing that bomb twice. I mean, I'd be shocked if he started both games against the Eagles. I don't know how the schedule looks, you know, if we play them early, late, or if it's spaced out or whatever, but hopefully we see him twice. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see some picks. We'll see some sacks, hopefully a Derek Jeter underhand flip while he's getting dragged down by. Fletcher Cox. Fletcher Cox uh, left us shortly and came back on a uh, on a restructured deal. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that for for Wentz and NFL and Eagles talk. You got anything else you want to get to? Should I, should I address my Instagram story from Monday evening? Yeah, I think briefly address the Instagrams. I, I was I enjoyed it. I thought it was delightful. Um, go right ahead, Jay. Yeah, so Monday night, you know, the Sixers played Sunday. They lost to the Raptors. I think they beat the Mavs on Friday. Um, I was I was traveling this weekend, spending some some quality time with my family, my niece and my nephew. Uh, always great to hang out with with the little ones, but had to do some traveling to do so. Um, so I missed Sunday night, uh, but Monday night, you know, it's calm. You know, get through the work day, looking to relax. And I got I got Sixers at home against the first place Heat. Big game. You know, we're on the stretch run here, what, 11 games left. And, and I'm looking to see, you know, the last time the Sixers played the Heat, Harden didn't play. They got smoked. It was on a back-to-back. I think this was on a back-to-back. But I, I'm laying down, tuning in, re- ready to see see a big game and, and hopefully see some progress with, with Harden and the chemistry and everything that's going on. And I got Kate Scott and, and, and Ala Abdunabi telling me that, that James Harden and Joel Embiid are out tonight. And I'm just the, the about, only guys in America that don't work on Mondays. No, they got off on Monday, the night after a loss. I have a big issue with that. You just lost. And everybody's talking about the chemistry and who fits where. We need to be playing these guys and figuring it out because the playoffs are right around the corner. Now they're getting a night off. I mean, James Harden wasn't even in the fucking building, I don't think. They showed Joel, you know, yucking it up with Maxie. He had a big fourth quarter and everything, but... I didn't see any shots of James Harden's mug. He was probably at Delilah's enjoying a steak dinner and, uh, you know, view, viewing some some dancers and whatnot. But, um, yeah, I, I just basically went on there. And after a loss, we're resting guys in, in a big home game against the number one team. I think it's a disgrace. I think we should be going for the wins. We should be trying to build chemistry. Um, but lo and behold, the Sixers got the win. Uh, you had contributions from a ton of guys, Maz, Jake Milton, Tyrese Max. He had the big fourth quarter. Um, so it was a great effort. I mean, really gutsy win, a gritty win from the Sixers, you know, sh- showing off their depth that everybody's been questioning uh, and, and the talent on the bench. So real character win there. Um, but no, I mean, seriously, it was was a pretty solid win. I enjoyed watching the game. They they played well. It seems like everybody played loose. They didn't have to worry about if James Harden was touching the ball, or they weren't worried about getting down the floor every time and force feeding Joe Allen B. They just played loose, and uh, they actually looked good. So you hope going forward that that can build some confidence for you know those role role guys. 
um, and that they can continue to chip in even when the, the big the big studs are out there. Um, so I just had had to had to address my my social media presence on Monday evening. Now, thanks for addressing that for the people. Uh, I personally am a big fan of the the G live commentary, the stream of consciousness of the G mid game at the beginning of the game, getting your take and then watching the results and seeing how the commentary matched. I mean, if, if you can make this a, a weekly thing, G, uh, you know, Sixers talk with G, uh, your Sixers minute with G. I mean, I think you're onto something there. Yeah. We'll I have to keep it coming. Um, and, and I also failed to mention, I'll, I'll take all the credit in the world for that win because I go on there at tip off bitching that th- this guy's not playing, anticipating, you know, a blowout, calling the the bench guys, the JV squad. They went out and won. So, so thanks to me for calling them out, holding them accountable. These guys performed, and uh, big win. Anyone who followed you during football season knows that it pays to fade the G. That's right. You know, the thing is, it's almost it's almost like a meaningless victory in the sense that like those aren't the guys they're going to be rolling out there during the playoffs. So, like, everyone's amped up. Oh, great win, great win, which, like, all right, yeah, it is a great win. Like, I agree. But, like, until you figure out how to play with your – with the guys you're going to be rolling with in the playoffs and getting the right rotations and the right mix of guys and, like, I, I just don't – I don't understand why this win is getting the hype when, you know, it'd be like if the Phillies called up the guys from AAA and they, and they won a game against Garrett Cole. Like – fucking great but those aren't going to be the guys that would be facing him in the world series now I, I hear you and and even like kate scott and uh Allah were talking about oh well the heat beat the sixers back in the fall with, when they gave their starters a night off so this means a lot i'm like it doesn't really mean anything i mean you just hope it builds some confidence um you, you just really hope that the guys the role guys can play loose like they did Last night, when Embiid and Harden are in there, and, and it translates to better, better chemistry, better flow, be, better uh, execution on the offensive end. Totally agree, G. Well, we'll see what happens. Um, I don't, I don't know when they play next. Uh, I think, I let me look now that I mentioned it because I feel like I think they're on a West Coast swing. I want to say they got the Lakers Wednesday night, they got the Clippers Friday night. Um, so if, if you're a Sixers fan, you'll be up late the next couple evenings. Um, but some good games coming up. Lakers are playing a little bit better. You get to see that for all LeBron James. Um, Clippers Friday, Suns defending champ or defending Western Conference champion Suns on Sunday. Best record in basketball, six o'clock Sunday. So that should be an interesting one as well. Um, I think I'll save us from, from any tales uh, regarding toilet humor. Or any anything in that regard, but Bob, you got you got anything else you wanted to touch on this evening? Not this week, G. All right, we'll leave it at that. Uh, as always, we'll thank everybody for listening. Wherever you are listening, give us that five star review, that five star rating. We'd greatly appreciate it. Uh, thank you to our great sponsors at Shamrock Sun and Menard Premium Detailing. Uh, and everybody, have a great week. Have a great weekend. Uh, enjoy the sweet 16 enjoy the elite eight and the next time we talk to you we will be down to four teams in college basketball looking forward to it take care everybody 